In a world of phonies and cowards, Steve King is the real deal of integrity and courage. enforcement family, Steve King was steeped early in the Constitution and the rule of law. He came to be known as the conscience of conservatives in Congress. The most precious to him are his wife of 49 years, their three sons, their wives, and eight grandchildren. His very successful life's work came crashing down in a stunning display of the treachery of the swamp. That is the, so uh, that's the about the author on the Amazon <laughs> page for this book. <laughs> Should have read that last episode, but I figured it'd be a good way to start us off today. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Welcome back, listeners, to Different Book Club. This is our review of Walking Through the Fire by former Representative Steve King. And I'm here with Natalie and Gavin again. And we're going to talk about chapters three through six today. Uh, The first few chapters are much of the same as last time. (laughs) There's some real gems in these chapters, though. Oh, yeah. We're not in the previous ones. There's a lot going on. I like them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chapter three is called Keeping Your Head. And in this chapter, Steve has a meeting with uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, House Minority Leader at the time. Yeah, that was after 2018. Yeah. And he does a a bad job defending his quotes, or as he calls them, (laughs) misquotes, in the Trip Gabriel article. Yeah. Yeah. This is where he starts really digging into the interview in these chapters, or the first couple. Mm Mm-hmm. His punctuation obsession is so funny. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, he starts off with another Rudyard Kipling quote. And I'm wondering, like, is this going to be, like, every chapter? He might as well just, like, put Rudyard Kipling's, like, <laughs> complete works. Yeah, he has these themes that he sticks with for a while, and then they kind of just, well, I don't want to spoil it, but they might, <laughs> may or may not discontinue later and (laughs) you don't really have a good sense of why he's doing what he's doing but i guess Mm -hmm. it's just the way his mind works yeah yeah genius is never understood in its time (laughs) very true uh uh he does very like right at the beginning of this chapter say that the trip gabriel article includes a fairly accurate, as he calls it, summary of uh, King's immigration stance. So, if it's fairly accurate, I don't see why it's such a big deal. There's a lot of stuff going on with this where he will argue one thing and then he'll say something else that seems to directly contradict it, including... Yeah, and you we talked about this last time where he is not so much concerned with what he said, but how it was portrayed and how it's contextualized. Yeah. Um, but then he also, well, we'll get into it here. So the the quote that was like the the major uh, thing that ruined him is actually, you know what? I've got a a clip of him saying this: white nationalist, white supremacist, 
Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? That's the quote in the article that sort of sunk his career. And he makes, uh, as he mentioned in the, the earlier chapters, there's no recording of that interview. Uh, and Trip Gabriel could not have been uh, transcribing in real time. So he doesn't know for sure that he said that. However, uh, he writes it several times in the book and then... White nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Has recorded himself saying it many, many times. So now he has said it definitively. (laughs) (laughs) He also happens to know that the interview lasted for 56 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's a very specific number. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. I guess it's the time he got out of the shower to the time that he, uh, <laughs> he did his clock like, radio frantic, after he frantic hung up the phone. post reporting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he looked at his his call history on his phone, maybe 56 he, minutes. Oh, yeah, guess, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I'm not the journalist I used to be. I forgot you could just look at your phone and it tells you the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that he tries to claim that he talks too quickly for someone to possibly accurately transcribe him. Yes. Uh, or is that? Yeah, we're not necessarily going like in order here, but it doesn't matter so much. This isn't really like a, a linear narrative. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'm trying to find the page, though. Yeah, okay, so it's page 54 in the PDF. And this is... Uh, yeah, he's trying to convince Kevin McCarthy that the he he calls it a hyphen, but actually, I want to clarify, it's actually an M dash. It's not a hyphen. <laughs> Although I've also I uh, hate journalists. <laughs> I, yeah, what uh, is the difference? M dash is longer, and it's used to you know like interject words. I don't. Yeah, that's the the, the technical description. Where is that? A hyphen, a hyphen is more like a combine, uh, a compound word combiner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys are geniuses. <laughs> He's talking here about, yeah, trying to convince Kevin McCarthy about this. And he asked Trip Gabriel, who he mentions 22 times in this chapter, by the way, <laughs> uh, if there's transcript or a recording, there wasn't. So he says, McCarthy countered that Gabriel kept precise notes. I told him no one could type and punctuate with precision as fast as I talk. (laughs) Given I talk faster than a political guy from rural Iowa really ought to talk. (laughs) Yeah, this is an interesting glimpse at how he views himself. Like he's, he sort of plays up a kind of like rural Iowa folksiness sometimes. But he's had a 20-plus year political career, so he's not like that, really. Yeah. Oh, this is also the this is the page where he has one of the funniest rebuttals to Gabriel. Is at the bottom of that page. He says, Gabriel wouldn't, or most li- more likely couldn't tell us which question it was that he responded to, and he's quoting him with the nut-white mm-hmm. nationalist thing. He yeah. says... In fact, during the initial interview, when I asked him to repeat a question, he was unable to, at least with any precision. I got the sense he was improvising as he went, basing his questions on my answers. Because journalists never do that. Isn't that how? I was thinking that too. Isn't that what an interview is? Like, don't you want to base your questions on what someone said? Yeah, and it's just normal, like, 
natural human like interaction too (laughs) you're responding to somebody else you're not just talking to yourself off a script with no concern for what someone else says yeah i've heard that criticism from people that aren't steve king as well like they think that an interview from a journalist is supposed to be like you set these questions ahead of time and you never ever deviate and anything else would be completely unfair of you (laughs) (laughs) it's such a weird way to look at it because i mean journalism would be terrible if i mean it often is but it's (laughs) yeah (laughs) it'd be even worse if people stuck to that it makes no sense yeah here's an example of like how he's trying to defend the context of that quote uh when he's really getting into the the um punctuation had i meant to lump all three phrases together the phrases being white nationalist white supremacist western civilization uh I would have used a plural pronoun and said those words, not that language. The pronoun that is definitively singular, <laughs> as is my reference to the culture of Western civilization. It's <laughs> <is> completely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing. I'm trying to figure out where we are because we're not going. We went in yeah, like went, sorry, order last fault. time. <laughs> I went back to back the up, beginning. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There is some good. St- the first paragraph of the chapter, he quotes uh, uh, the article uh, Gabriel wrote towards the start. Immigrants who enter the country legally and fully assimilate because what matters more than race is the culture of America based on values brought to the United States by whites from Europe. And King takes issue with this because uh, Gabriel directly quoted him with the culture of America part, but the whites from Europe was a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. But King has said that or insinuated that there was uh, a moment with uh was it the republican national convention i should look this up i forgot but it made a national headlines he's talking about the culture of western civilization and someone asked him if does that mean white and oh yeah i remember that, that. Yeah, yeah yeah if you're really optimistic you can say this is the last time that old white people will command the republican parties its platform, its public face. Of course, I thought that was going to happen into the, after 2012, and I was, thanks to the good work of Congressman I King, I was severely disappointed. I think it'll still be around, though. But I think it'll be around, but I'll tell you what, in that hall today, that hall is wired. That hall is wired by loud, unhappy, dissatisfied white people. Very white, and that is very white and, and crowd. Any, any sign of rebellion is going to get shouted down or or shouted down either kindly or roughly, but that's what's going to happen. This whole white people business, though, does get a little tired, Charlie. I mean, I'd ask you to go back through history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people that you're talking about? If the, what, Where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? Than white people? Than, than Western civilization itself that's rooted in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and the United States of America, and every place where the footprint of Christianity settled the world. Asia? That's all of Western civilization. Well, what about Asia? Asia? Oh, Let me note for the the history of this country. Let me note for the record that if you're looking at the ledger of Western civilization, uh, for every uh, flourishing democracy, you have uh, you know you got Hitler and Stalin as well. So so there's 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 a lot on both sides. Based on Christianity. Okay, Congressman Steve King, April Ryan. Congressman Steve King. No respect for the Egyptians. 
strengths of various strands of civilizational prowess. And so what I will do is, is thank Congressman Steve King for coming. I've definitely watched that clip. We may have included it in the Steve King episode last year. I don't remember. Uh, and well, I'm going to follow up with that with the end of that paragraph. The fact is, Europe was the fount from which Western civilization flowed into the United States. That fact does not require a reference to skin color. <laughs> He is so preoccupied with... It, it doesn't require one, but, I mean, that is kind of the subtext, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he has kind of an interesting, like, he's constantly splitting hairs on what white supremacy actually means. And um, I do think that, like, he just, he goes into his views about this a lot. And, like, I do think it kind of reflects, like, I think that this stuff is like, tells you a lot about how he sees race, and I kind of understand what he's trying to say, but I don't think it's a better kind of white supremacy. So he talks <laughs> a lot about assimilation and wanting interracial marriage and for people to have children, but the idea is to absorb and subvert black culture and indigenous culture, and it's just, a, it's a kind of ethnic cleansing, a kind of genocide still, but he sees himself as being different than, like, a separatist or, like, a clan or, like, yeah. stuff like that where you believe that groups should be separate. He's like, no, I just think we should get rid of them by marrying them and making the babies be more and more white every time. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not better like you're you're just telling me like a different evil like it's it's really telling and bizarre and that's his defense is like no i just want to assimilate and crush their culture <laughs> but i don't actually he has and i'm so sorry to jump again um but he talks about how he tried to encourage his son to date a bubbly black girl and that means he can't be racist. And that's like yeah. hands down my favorite thing of this section. And just like it like really reflects that he just like truly believes that this is different and that he is not a supremacist because he like believes in the dominance of culture instead of like literal skin color. And it's like yeah. it's not better and it's kind of worse or like at the very <laughs> like. <laughs> well, one is sort know. of a euphemism for the other, really. Yeah. It's all the same shit. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's still reflecting the same bedrock values. It's just like mm -hmm. different strategies to eliminate eliminate people and like i don't know but he just truly believes it's it's just wild that he is so upfront about his like belief in ethnic cleansing like and that that somehow protects him yeah the bubbly black lady is such a bizarre thing to even include in the book because <laughs> why else would he even say that it's just a he would try to set his son up with someone. It didn't work out. Like, that's really, there's no story there. It's just like, but she yeah, was black. So I'm going to make a point of saying it because I'm not racist. Yeah. It's evidence in, in his favor that he's not prejudiced is that he wanted this black girl to date his son and she didn't want to. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, since you brought it up, it is from uh, much later in the book, but here is exactly what he said. When one of my sons was single and uncommitted, I tried unsuccessfully to play Cupid between him and a very cute and bubbly young black lady. <laughs> the emphasis on the latter part of that sentence, too. A very cute and young black lady. Yeah. <laughs> I like, um, he brings up, uh, I guess Liz Cheney got in some trouble for calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas at some point. 
I don't really remember this, but um, he goes into talking about Kevin McCarthy right after he brings that up. I guess I think this is like it's kind of not relevant, but it's just to criticize Kevin McCarthy, who he doesn't like. Yes. Uh, I guess Kevin McCarthy's family has some dubious claims to like indigenous <laughs> heritage and gets a bunch of uh, like government money for pre- maybe pretending that they're part of the quote Northern Cherokee Nation. And that is true. I didn't look into it much, but it was a, a, an in law specifically who mm-hmm. was involved. And yeah, it's not relevant to anything except for just <laughs> gives him an opportunity to like. Punch yeah. at him again. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember seeing an article about that a few years ago. I also like the sentence before, where, or the paragraph before, where he talks about Liz Cheney. He uh, he cites the Daily Coast as an yeah. example of. It's like the Daily Coast. Like, what do you expect their headlines to look like? I mean, they're like yeah. a liberal, like democratic, like blog. Yeah, and uh, Liz Cheney also condemned uh, Steve's words on on Western civilization and white supremacy and such. So, uh, as he as he does often in this book, here's a photo of him with Liz Cheney and her father. <laughs> <laughs> this happens a lot when he uh, apparently hates someone in the book. He also <laughs> presents a photo of him smiling next to them. <laughs> yeah, He's got a large collection of those. <laughs> Um, there was a follow-up article where Trip Gabriel solicited comment from uh, other Iowa Republicans. Joni Ernst was willing to talk about it. There was no quote from Grassley. I have to wonder if, if Chuck maybe recorded the conversation. If Chuck called out the Times for its, how do you pronounce that, chicanery? <laughs> I can't remember. The Times chicanery? did not report Something like that? <laughs> sure, yeah. The Times did not report it. So he's just like speculating. And then the next paragraph here is where he sort of rec- uh, acknowledges that Rudyard Kipling has some problematic <laughs> uh, views. Mm-hmm. Or did. <laughs> okay. He says, he says some shit about Rudyard Kipling and he says, and yes, I know the woke crowd now routinely denounces Kipling, the Jungle Book author, as a colonialist. <laughs> but in my book, he like, there's a lot of mis- uh, missing commas in this sentence. <laughs> but in my book, he, like, Gunga, Gunga Dean is a better man than I am and a better man than most in the media will ever be. And that story is actually about a clone. Uh, Gunga Dean was uh, an Indian who was mistreated by a colonialist. So, of course, he cherry picks the one example where Rudyard Kipling is not, you know, well, I haven't, I don't, <laughs> not that familiar with it, but, you know, yeah. there's a reason why he highlights that specific uh, example from him. Yeah, I didn't even bother looking that up, so I appreciate the little bit of background there. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, I bet there's something there, but I love how he describes Kipling as Kipling, the Jungle Book author, and it's like, well, that's true. That's not really the problem that's, that people have with him. The issue is the white man's burden. Like, <laughs> it's not the story for children. Like, the Disney movie is probably playing in his head as he's typing that. It's very uh, family friendly. Nothing wrong with this guy. (laughs) Yeah. I do want to make sure we don't miss this. Earlier in that paragraph, he refers to a political lynch mob. And this is not the first time, or sorry, it's not the last time that he uh, refers to lynching. 
and uh other it's not the first time either i don't think <laughs> maybe, yeah maybe not but it's certainly not the last because i have other examples highlighted but uh yeah and speaking about his own sort of political downfall he refers to it as a lynching a few times that's so fucked up yeah yeah uh this is part of his statement uh on january 11th 2019 yeah, this is like in direct response to the the trip the first trip Gabriel article, I think. He says, yeah. "I reject I reject those labels and the evil ideology that they define. Further, I condemn anyone that supports this evil and bigoted ideology, which saw in its ultimate expression the systematic murder of 6 million innocent Jewish lives. Under any fair political definition, I am simply a nationalist." <laughs> Now, I have a couple of issues with his defense here. Um, it kind of comes across like he's using the Holocaust to deflect from his own, like, homegrown American-style racism. <laughs> <laughs> and to say at the end, I'm simply a nationalist is like, it's sort of like a compromise. It's like, <laughs> I am kind of like this, but only like halfway. <laughs> this will come up a lot more. I got some notes, and I think it's chapter four or five but he tries to make a differentiate or just make a yeah, differentiate between white supremacy and anti-semitism mm. but he is totally incoherent about it because he contradicts himself a lot <laughs> and he's trying to make some sort of point about how they're not the same and he yeah it's, it yeah. doesn't make sense but we'll get to that later there's a very high quality anti-semitism chapter coming up <laughs> look forward to that <laughs> yeah uh, he's got another grievance against a prominent Republican, Steve Scalise. <laughs> uh, Scalise is also like a racist piece of shit, and <laughs> he got in some trouble in 2014 because it came up that he had attended a gathering of white supremacists in 2002 when he was a state rep in Louisiana. Louisiana state politics, of course, has a long history of white supremacy. That's where David Duke was uh, elected, right? Wasn't that Louisiana? Uh, I don't remember. I should know that. I it think might it have been was. Mississippi, Louisiana, probably. I don't know. I think it was Louisiana. Anyway, uh, when uh, Steve Scalise was under fire, uh, wouldn't you know it? His friend Steve King jumped to his defense. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to wonder why is Steve King so eager to defend Steve Scalise? <laughs> <laughs> when he's being attacked for hanging out with white supremacists. This defense is pretty great, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is S Steve King's defense of Steve Scalise. Uh, Jesus dined with tax collectors and sinners. So true. So <laughs> true. Should it's... I even read the rest of it? <laughs> well, that <laughs> next sentence is funny. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he was there to help them stop being racist. And then he goes on to mention that he painted houses with Scalise <laughs> post-Katrina, which I don't know if there's some racial subtext going on there, too, but, you know, I have what to made, wonder. What made you think of Katrina? <laughs> <It's very laughs> like... Well, Steve Scalise is from Louisiana, I guess. Uh, yeah. I like how he says, this is what I said unsolicited in his defense. Like, he's right, just yeah, like, he I just even... jumped to his defense. He wasn't even asking. It was like, he probably didn't want to ask you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure that he wanted you to do this. <laughs> and this whole thing's a setup so he can 
uh, errors, grievances against Scalise, of course, because Scalise mm-hmm. had my cell phone number. He had an example to follow and a favor to return. He did neither. <laughs> he owed me. <laughs> uh, all right, Gary Condit. So this is going to be the next probably 45 minutes of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. I love this so much. <laughs> Steve brings up uh, former Representative Gary Condit. He's California, from California. Yeah. I mix him up with uh, Joe Scarborough's uh, congressional career in Florida sometimes. But Gary Condit had an affair with a woman named Chandra Levy, who was, uh, she was like an intern with the Bureau of Prisons or something, right? Yeah. And she goes and does a a tour of his office and like sees him. And of course, like I know everything about this because this is kind of like adorable shit that I know about. But yeah, yeah, and she sees him and then they end up exchanging numbers. She's much, much, much younger. She's like 23 or something like that. And And he's he's in his his 50s. 50s. Yeah. He's in his 50s and married. And well, he had an affair with her and then she, uh, her, she was killed and her body was found in a park. Yep, she goes missing, um, and they're doing like a an all hands on deck search for her. And um, her aunt ends up telling the um, police and the press that she was having this affair with Gary Condit, and he originally denies it, admits it, and then is back to denying it now, which is wild. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, which her apartment had his semen in her underwear yes, there. Right, like it's right. very, very, very clear that this is the case, and it's like. It's it's interesting because it's never been proven that it's him, and I think it's probably not. But at the same time, he like he delayed their ability to actually find this woman to cover his own ass. Like it's revolting to lie about it. Like it's like whatever you've done. Like who the fuck cares? Like a a woman is missing. Like you you just have to be like, oh my god, yes. Like I was fucking her. Here's here's everything I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this. She's she's you know. If they could have yeah, gone I, faster, it's just fucked up. A dead body is kind of more uh, b- a bigger consequence than your like political career. <laughs> yeah, and so obviously, like all eyes are on him then, and it's a whole. So yeah. Did you mention yet why King brings this up? I yes. don't even remember why he brought it up. <laughs> he writes. For a misquote, I was getting the kind of treatment Representative Gary Condit got as a suspect in the murder of his intern and alleged mistress, Chandra Levy. So he's comparing, yeah, like, yeah. It's just wild for having absolutely no overlap to um, the situation that he's under. And then he goes on to tell this story, and it's just... (laughs) It's it's sort of part of his, his theme of, like, uh, Democrats can get away with a lot more in the media than Republicans can. For example, this guy who maybe killed someone. He <laughs> <laughs> does mention that Condit left office the same day in 2003 when I first took office, so maybe that's a, a memory that's uh, sharp in his mind because of that, but yeah, yeah, who knows. Uh, a brief quote here. He was innocent, at least of Levy's murder, but no one wanted to believe that. Uh, you can add me to the list. I don't necessarily want to believe that. Uh, and then he also pivots to another of his lifelong themes. Um, most readers of this book will remember Chandra Levy, but few, I suspect, know who was convicted of killing the unfortunate young intern. 
For the record, in 2010, a Washington, D.C. jury convicted Ingmar Gwandik of Levy's murder. The conviction got almost no media attention, not because people forgot about Condit and Levy, but because in the age of Obama, the media routinely <laughs> suppressed stories of crime committed by illegal aliens, even members of the murderous MS-13 gang, like Gwandik, who years later was released by a judicial decision. <laughs> Yeah, and then he follows that up. That's all he says about that, as if there's mm-hmm. another way you can get released unless you escape prison or something. <laughs> um, yeah. But then he follows it up by saying, when the truth got in the way of the democratic agenda, the, no- the media no longer had much use for it, which is very ironic because <laughs> that's exactly what he's doing with bringing this guy up without yeah. just explaining why he was released. Does he have some sort of narrative of like a, an agenda of his own, perhaps? <laughs> And it's beginning to look like it. I love how a jury is convicting him, but then he's released by a judicial decision. Like some right. real mm-hmm. passive voice, like not a jury <laughs> <Yeah>. overturned. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I, there are some relevant facts to this case that I feel are necessary to contextualize what little Steve says about it here. So Igmar Gwandik, this was a guy... Uh, I shit, I forgot where he is from, but he he was actually a gang member and he was uh El he Salvador. Was con- El Salvador, yes. And he he did like for sure, I think attack two other women in the same park where Chandra Levy's body was found. Uh but let me just read a few uh excerpts from the Wikipedia page about this case. In September 2001, D.C. police and federal prosecutors were contacted by the lawyer of an informant held in D.C. jail who claimed to have knowledge of Levy's killer. The informant, whose identity was protected for his safety, said that Ingmar Gwandik, a 20-year-old illegal alien from El Salvador who was also being held in the jail, told him that Condit paid him $25,000 to kill Levy. So this is like their initial tip on Ingmar Gwandik involves a $25,000 payment from Gary Condit. Investigators ruled out the story about Condit because Gwandik had already admitted to assaulting two other women in the same park where Levy's remains were found. So they dismissed the part where a congressman is involved, but they're still going after this guy who was informed on. Gwandik denied attacking Levy. On November 28th, the FBI had the informant take a polygraph test, which he failed. A polygraph test on Guandique administered on February 4th, 2002, so that's like a few months later, uh, returned inconclusive results that were officially ruled not deceptive. Because neither the informant nor Guandique was fluent in English, D.C. Chief Detective Jack Barrett said that he would have preferred polygraph tests to have been administered by bilingual examiners who were unavailable at the time. So oh part of God. their part of their evidence against him is a polygraph test, which was improperly uh, uh, done. And worth mentioning, polygraph tests are bullshit anyway. I mean, it's right. just yeah, a yes. pseudoscience. Yeah. Even had they been yeah. proper, yeah. <laughs> uh, two more little bits here. Errors in processing contaminated some of the gathered evidence with DNA from employees of the prosecution. So they didn't have really like <laughs> solid DNA evidence against him either. And uh, the conviction was called a miracle for having been reached with only circumstantial evidence. Jesus. <laughs> so, so this is, I mean, maybe he did it, but it's really not a solid case. And uh, yeah, then he was released and deported in uh, 
2016 or 17, if I remember right. So, who knows who really killed that woman? And King did not mention he was deported, I don't think. Maybe that doesn't no. fit the, the narrative because <laughs> Democrats bring him in, they don't kick him out. Right. He wants his, his readers to believe that this murderer was just released back onto the streets. That helps his uh, position. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on the list of grievances, we've got Jeb Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Always here for that. Yeah. Here, let me give you some of uh, Steve's own words on Jeb. Bush suggested either censoring me or supporting a primary challenge against me. Jeb Bush. Why Jeb Bush? He had not been in the news for nearly three years since his humiliating defeat at the hands of Donald Trump in the 2016 primaries. (laughs) Everybody loves to just kick Jeb Bush while he's down. (laughs) (laughs) Including me. (laughs) Yeah. This is a good time to mention how flatly he reads in the audiobook. Like, that could have been... That could have been such a fun excerpt. Like, Jeb Bush? Why Jeb Bush? But he just is like, Jeb Bush, Imagine listening to seven hours of that. (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah. But, like, imagine if he had gotten Donald Trump to read this. It would be so funny. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be be pretty hilarious. Yeah. The production quality uh, implies that they did not have nearly enough money to pay Donald Trump to read this, though. Yeah, I love when you can tell the audio just like the volume completely shifts or it's obviously they re-recorded something and they just stuck mm-hmm. it in there without even bothering to try to like make a smooth edit. Yeah, it's just fucking plopped in there, yeah. <laughs> and there's also really choppy editing where like you can tell there's something from two different takes and there should be like a pause between sentences but it's like so quick it just moves on. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's not even hard to do. Like, why don't you just move it over and, like, the slide it over, like, a yeah. second or something? Yeah. Nobody even listened to this before it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people actually have listened to the audiobook. I can't imagine it's in high demand, but... Yeah. <laughs> maybe in certain circles. I don't know. We should ask him. Yeah. <laughs> we should call him up, get him on one of the episodes. Uh what if I emailed him? I'm going to do it. What has he got to do? I bet he'd come on. It's probably not impossible. If we said we're doing a book impossible. review series. Yeah. I'm going to ask. He wouldn't stay on for long, I don't think. But. <laughs> I watched a video of a, a Sioux City journalist interviewing him, and the YouTube video has 14 views. <laughs> <laughs> that, who is that? Brett Hayworth? Um, I don't know, actually, but I'm saving it for later, so the answer will come in a later episode. (laughs) He circles back to Jeb Bush a couple paragraphs later on the the next page where he says, Mm -hmm. uh, low energy or not, using that Donald (laughs) Trump uh, line, he gave gave his all in Iowa with Dave Kochel, his senior policy advisor, who came up in the last episode, because it's another guy he has many grievances uh, over. Yeah. Dave Kochel is, um, which guy was he? Is he Red Wave? Uh, yeah, real piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he claims that, you know, money and, and fame can't buy the Iowa caucus, which is why, uh, you know, Donald Trump came in second. <laughs> A guy with no money and no no name recognition right. for sure. Yeah. 
And then he doesn't mention that people like Rick Santorum also won the Iowa caucus, which, you know, he was not the most well-funded candidate. He was going against Mitt Romney. Yeah, that's a better example, but he doesn't bring it up. Yeah. No. Nah. Probably why he doesn't bring it up. <laughs> uh, okay. And then uh, more on the double standard between uh, Republicans and Democrats when it comes to media treatment. Uh, he brings up Ilan Omar's uh, All About the Benjamins tweet, which was, of course, pounced upon by uh, uh, Islamophobic people who really want you to think that any uh, any Muslims in Congress hate Jews. Unlike Steve King, she did uh, acknowledge that she said that and apologized for it instead of saying that, you know, there's a misplaced uh, you know, punctuation mark or something <laughs> in the, the quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he compares the, so the Democrats in the House passed resolutions uh, denouncing anti-Semitism, but did not bring up Ilan Omar by name, whereas when the House brought a resolution up denouncing Steve King's white supremacy, they did call him out by name. And he still voted for that resolution <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he did? Yeah. That's pretty The only funny. one who didn't, it was a, where are my notes on this? It was a... 242 to one vote and the only one who voted against it was illinois democrat bobby rush who i believe hmm. introduced a, a similar resolution and he voted against it because he thought the one that ultimately uh you know was voted on was not strong enough in its condemnation of steve king which is sure he's got Fair. a point <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and i guess what the point he's trying to make is that like when democrats say things that that people find offensive they don't really suffer any consequences uh he says in terms of uh ilan omar she and her fellow squad members remained rock stars in the world of the left and i mean ilan omar and rashida talib specifically are like constantly targeted by like apac and and, and like pro-israel packs are yeah, constantly spend, funding primary yeah. challenges against them <laughs> I, I feel like they, they um, face, like, more significant and serious challenges from their own party than Steve King did. Despite being removed from power, I mean, like, they agree with him. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking for the page this is on, but he talks about definitions, which I think is interesting with the... He, he thought the specific def definition of white... Was it nationalism or supremacy was very specific and extreme so he voted for the resolution because he surely did not believe in that and i can't find the page mm -hmm. but it talked about genocide or something yeah yeah but he has a whole chapter later in the book defending the great replacement which is uh just like a watered down version of the white genocide conspiracy theory so again he goes jesus <laughs> contradicting himself yeah yeah well, he gets, I mean, he's fucking constantly, like, uh, litigating what exactly he said and what should have been printed. But here is how he uh, introduces the one-on-one -on -one meeting he had with Kevin McCarthy about this Trip Gabriel article. The meeting was awkward. It began with a kind of stilted silence. I broke the ice. Well, you know, we're in a heck of a shape right now, I said. <laughs> we're in a heck of a shape right now. <laughs> Uh, it's that it's that folksy I Western Iowa talk. <laughs> yeah, this uh, unfortunately did not uh, work to like disarm Kevin McCarthy, even though 
Uh, Steve said, we're in a heck of a shape right now. Uh, Kevin was still pretty guns blazing, <laughs> ready to like shoot down friendly fire, his friend Steve. Um, he says that McCarthy insisted he brought his troubles upon himself. He was half right. Then I told him in turn, <laughs> this quote does not reflect any thoughts that I've ever formed in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I want to read something here. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of, of you, but uh, I laid down a copy of the quote on the table and zeroed in on the offending ideologies, drawing a double-ended red ink arrow on the page and explaining there should have been a hyphen or period after white supremacist and before Western civilization. McCarthy was not buying. Yeah, then he has the <laughs> like a scan of uh, his edits on the page. Yeah, he shows us the, the exact document that he presented to Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> it's just what a weird hill to die on you know of all the things it's this one thing that will exonerate him and clear his good name yeah his, <laughs> is the, this hyphen his whole career rests on this little uh well gavin told us it's an m dash right yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut up <laughs> uh and then yeah you know kevin uh as he said kevin did not buy it uh, he trusts that Trip Gabriel was reporting accurately on his conversation with Steve King, um, despite there not being a recording or detailed notes on the meeting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin McCarthy claims, so when Steve says he doesn't remember like exactly what he said, he should have just lied. I mean, <laughs> clearly he should have lied and said, I yes. remember exactly what I said. I was misquoted here. Uh, but anyway, when he says that he doesn't know exactly what he said in this hour-long interview, Kevin McCarthy claims that he remembers everything he said in every interview for the past six months. <laughs> I didn't say it, but I was thinking, who is this guy? Rain Man? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to get out of this. He quotes a book called The Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. Maybe it's just to prove that he's read a book. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably just something that inspired him at one point, so he wanted to get the mention in there. Mm -hmm. Part of his uh, education, self-education in Western civilization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the gist of the quote is that, like, everyone's, like, so scared that they're going to say something wrong these days. And I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> sometimes you suffer consequences if you say something fucked up. It's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> Yeah. And it hasn't stopped Steve King. He's still going off on Twitter every day with bizarre fucking <laughs> yeah. tweets. On Juneteenth, I thought about what it would be like to be a slave. Because <laughs> I did yard work. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is better than having been aborted. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> you, he has learned so much. He's so different. Um, this, is, this experience has transformed him. I love that he brings up Barry Weiss. Like, if you just oh, have yeah. any question about Zionism or who the fuck Barry Weiss is or what all of this is about, he writes about how she um, shook the media world and erased all doubt about the oppressive state affairs at the paper, which is the Times, um, and quotes Barry Weiss mm -hmm. about how she, um, with, like, free speech bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, it's really funny that, like, she ends up literally quoted in steve king's book <laughs> and is still like trying to prevent pretend that 
she's not like a fucking reactionary. Yeah. I I don't know how relevant this is really, but it he he makes a point to say that she's like a self-proclaimed centrist and he says that she's Jewish, of course. He does not mention that she is uh famously like bisexual, right? Like she dated um Kate McKinnon at one point. Mm-hmm. Which w- Yeah, she's wouldn't that have bolstered his point? Like, see, she's she's like she's different from me and she agrees with me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think she's currently dating or married to another woman who's also an author. Yeah, so, yeah I forget the name, but yeah. Missed opportunity there for Steve. Well, but but I thought about it a little bit and I was like, well, maybe because he does, he is homophobic, of course, but like maybe that w- would not have uh, bolstered his point to his target audience. That's not true. He met with a gay in Austria. Remember that? <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. That's yeah, that's true. <laughs> maybe he doesn't even know about Barry Weiss's personal life, despite clearly being a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> he probably doesn't he's probably just a fan of her work yeah subscribes to her sub stack and, and stuff like that <laughs> and then the the last uh the last story submitted here is about a, a tennis commentator doug adler uh who <laughs> was watching a match between stephanie vogel and venus williams and he said you see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on charging. Venus Williams is, of course, a black woman. So uh, if you're saying gorilla, like people are going to have bad assumptions about what you're saying. Uh, And Ben Rothenberg, who is a tennis writer for the New York Times, uh, tweeted about it and said, uh, you know, it's kind of messed up for Doug Adler to be calling Venus Williams a gorilla. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's an argument, I mean, he was probably, he probably was referring to gorilla as in G-U-E-R, right? He probably wouldn't have been calling for that, right? (laughs) But I also think it's like outrageous to not be cognizant of that. Right. It's reasonable uh, to, you know, think someone might get offended by that. Yeah. And then his defense is pretty strange too, because it had to have been the G-U-E-R-I-L-A version of the word because Nike once prominently ran an ad featuring Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, two white men from, like, my childhood. I mean, <laughs> what, yeah. what does that have to do with tennis played, like, two decades later? Yeah, this ad ran in 1995. I looked it up. <laughs> okay. And the thing with, uh, with Doug Adler was in 2017. Yeah, it was, like, right when Trump was elected. And what do we all think? Do you think that uh, Steve King closely follows tennis and tennis advertisements? <laughs> <laughs> or is this just like... And Steve King just really cares about the treatment of the Williams sisters. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, big fan. Yeah. Well, it seems like he he thinks it's obvious that uh, Doug Adler was not calling... Uh, Venus Williams, uh, a gorilla as in the animal. So I have a supercut here of each time Steve says both of these words, gorilla and gorilla, and see if you can hear in the way he pronounces them, which one he's saying which time. Gorilla, 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 gorilla. <laughs> it's pretty indistinguishable. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's what's that called when two words sound the same but they're different? Uh, homophone. Homonym. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what those are, right? So yeah. they shouldn't sound different. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way to know for sure. Like, and mm-hmm. it's like silly to assert that you for sure know because you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, this is right at the end. This is uh, Doug Adler's tweet defending himself. What made no sense to me whatsoever was that anyone would think that just because Venus is African American, I would call her a gorilla. Spelled G O R. It took a twisted, even racist mind to impute such a thought to me. Classic defense. Actually, you're <laughs> racist for thinking that yeah. I said something racist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then chapter Speaking four of is... twisted, even racist minds, I mean, there's a reason <laughs> probably he's bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then chapter four, it's a pretty seamless transition. Uh, chapter four is called Forcing Your Heart. This is really just Steve continuing to defend his quotes or misquotes in the Trip Gabriel article. Might as well not even be its own chapter. Yeah. Why does he? Do, it's just outrageous how much, how many words he's able to like attribute to this grievance. Like, it's just insane. He There's only so mentions much. him nine times in this chapter. However, <laughs> yeah, you said twenty-two in the last chapter. Yeah. Okay. And then nine here. Yeah. Are you keeping a running total? If not, I'll start doing that. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, I can. I got the Google Docs <laughs> with the lists. Yeah. Uh, There's another Rudyard Kipling quote at the beginning of chapter four. Chapter four titled, Forcing Your Heart. Which I don't know what that means. It's a reference to the poem, though, that he quotes. If you can force your heart and nerve and new to serve blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Still don't really know what it means. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So, yeah. So. So shortly after all the shit goes down with the Trip Gabriel article, Dave Price from WHO Channel 13 in Des Moines asks Steve, what is a white nationalist? So Steve is like, I don't know. He's never, he's never had to define it, but here is his answer. Well, I'm not sure of that. First of all, I think you have to be white. But then we've got Rachel Dolezal, who didn't have to be black to be black, so it's a derogatory term today. I wouldn't have thought so a year or two or three years ago, but today they use it as a derogatory term, and they imply that you are racist. So white nationalist has uh, recently become a derogatory term. (laughs) But he also said it was an odious ideology, so which is it? (laughs) He also says, I don't traffic in white nationalist circles. It's like all right, bullshit. All right. Definitely, definitely not. Yeah, he's definitely never heard that term used commonly in politics before. Yeah, in the literally thousands of Republican and conservative gatherings I have attended over the years, I am not sure I ever met a white nationalist, let alone a white supremacist. Yeah, not true. <laughs> do you do you have any evidence to the contrary? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he cites several people in this his own book that are evidence <laughs> to the contrary. Yeah. Uh, like the founder of V-Dare, who he served mm-hmm. on a panel uh, at CPAC with back in, I can't remember, a few years ago, decade ago. Yeah. Among many 
many others. I love that he writes an entire paragraph complaining that McCarthy didn't mention the three years thing. So it says, um, my tone in answering the question was calm and dispassionate. McCarthy, however, took my answer to mean I did not think the term white nationalist was derogatory one or two years ago. For whatever reason, he kept walk- dropping three <laughs> years for my hastily improvised statement. Yeah, and I it's said like, one or two or three. What the fuck? Why do you... <laughs> or three. Like, what difference does that make? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to say, with reflection, I could have given Price a clearer answer. But I mean, he... They quoted him. I mean, he, he couldn't deny this because it was on TV. Right. But, you know, here it's like he admits that he, yeah, I mean, like he said exactly what they said he said. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, the Trip Gabriel interview, he absolutely was misquoted because of, you know, the way this sentence was uh, written. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should clarify this. Uh, the Dave Price interview on Channel 13, actually, it took place in 2018, and Kevin McCarthy brought it up as, like, another example of shit that he had said, saying, you know, establishing a pattern. It wasn't just this one time with Trip Gabriel. Like, King has said this shit throughout his career, as we all know. <laughs> and this was just before that Trip Gabriel, Gabriel interview, I think. Or was it just after? Yeah, it was... Uh... Two weeks before the 2018 election, he'd said that. And then the Trip Gabriel interview happened shortly after the election. Right. It came so out like really in early the 2019. Past, he'd already. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't have to go back very far. All right. So part of Steve's uh, plan to defend himself uh, is to run a Lexus Nexus search of the term <laughs> white nationalist. <laughs> And, and I want to bring I, up quickly that since he's so fixated on the hyphen or M dash, mm-hmm. that he spells Lexus Nexus two different ways in this chapter. One with a like a da- like a slash, and the other one mm-hmm. with a hyphen. But neither one's correct. It's one word. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's good. And Lexus Nexus is just like a search of articles or something. What is it? Yeah, it's like uh, like scholarly articles. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. a lot of stuff on there. Mostly, yeah, yeah for that. I'm pretty confident I've used it before and don't really remember what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we used it for debate a lot. Mm-hmm. So They gave everyone at Iowa State access to it if you're a student there. So, college. Yeah. <laughs> His intention Thanks. being to, to prove that like the term white nationalist was not used very often prior to the election of Trump. And, and this is evidence that like they're using it to smear... Uh, conservatives i don't get how it helps him still but yeah whatever. yeah he, he thinks it's like a, a concerted effort from the media rather than like white nationalism became way more relevant because donald trump was elected president <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also of course he doesn't mention ever that western civilization is used for this very purpose by white nationalists to claim that they're not white nationalists it's right been- yeah coded language for them for years and years and years yeah which it comes up at some point in in today's reading but um that was included in gabriel's new york times article is that uh western civilization is used as a euphemism so that you're not just straight up saying white supremacy and i don't think they they use the term dog whistle but but that's basically yeah what it is so he did mention it yeah it comes up somewhere in this reading yeah and it's quoted here too in the book uh, so he claims that, uh, you know, he's not given enough time to defend himself and and that he has no platform from which to make his case. 
while he was a sitting member of Congress. And then in the following paragraph, the only forum I had available was the House floor. That's a fucking platform. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's an enormous platform. (laughs) And also, why did he need so long to conduct a LexisNexis search? I mean, you can just look up a word and then filter the results and get a general sense of, I don't know, like, if he had had some staffers going through each individual article or something. Yeah, how deep was this this research He gave me one hour to do what would take days. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't have bargaining leverage, so I gave him the absolute minimum, all hands on deck, all night or possible time. I said, I need 24 hours to do a LexisNexis search. <laughs> Imagine having to be his fucking staffer and, like, attempting to defend his, like, bullshit hyphen argument by doing a <laughs> LexisNexis search for 24 hours. Yeah. yeah and this is part of the uh, his famous fact check document that uh, I think a staffer did for him. Which is in the appendix of the book, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think the and whole thing is, is included that here. as his first. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> that clearly wasn't enough to uh, get him out of hot water at the time. So now he decided he had to write an entire book to really just flesh <laughs> yeah. out why he was wronged. Yeah. So as he said, uh, he he has the floor of the house where he can defend himself, and uh, I figured I would play a clip from that here so this is like right after like the day after his meeting with kevin mccarthy where he was not given enough time to uh, properly defend himself and i'm gonna read it as it's here whereas on january 10th 2019 representative steve king was quoted as asking quote white nationalists white supremacists western civilization there's a there's a dash in there a pause it's, how did that language become offensive close quote I understand how you interpreted my words when you read them this way. There is no tape for this interview that I did. It was 56 minutes long. There are some notes on the other end, but there is no tape. There's no way to go back and listen. But I can tell you this, that ideology never shows up in my head. I don't know how it could possibly come out of my mouth. So I'm going to tell you that the words are likely what I said but I want to read it to you the way I believe I said it. And that's this, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and civilization? That's the end of the quote. Just to watch Western civilization become a derogatory term in political discourse today. That's what I believe happened. And it's 13 words, ironically, that's caused this firestorm. What does that mean? It's 13 words, words? ironically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you expect it to be 14? (laughs) I don't know what that's a reference to. What else could he be talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I don't fucking know. Unless he's saying it's, it's only 13 words, but there's nothing ironic about that. Aside from the fact that he said many more words that are just as offensive, and it was those select few that, I guess, derailed him. Yeah, I just, like, after I watched that, I was like, okay, I have to include that, because what the fuck is he talking about with 13 <laughs> words, ironically? Because <laughs> he he has to know what the 14 words. He claims that he's not part of these circles, but he, like, goes to white supremacy conventions now. He knows what 14, the significance is, right? I mean, 
he endorsed Faith Goldie for uh, mayor of Toronto. Mm. I believe it was her who uh, kind of defended the 14 words kind of in a joking manner on uh, some far right uh, program. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know what is the 14 words. Uh, it's the thing that's like we have to defend white children and uh, secure a future for white people. I never fucking heard of that. Yeah, it's uh, like 1488, 88's Hail Hitler, Heil Hitler, and so it's, they're two very common numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, um, in it's a Nazi circles. signal, yeah. Okay, how can you claim that you are not, you have never met a white supremacist if you know about that? Like, I'd have never heard of that. <laughs> Maybe he's saying it wrong on purpose so he can uh, uh, deny knowing what it is if someone points that out to him. Yeah. Or maybe I'm showing my cards. Maybe I'm. <laughs> maybe this is on me for knowing oh, no, this. I'm looking at. No, it's there's a long Wikipedia page. I just didn't yeah, yeah. know. But yeah, like, it's an old thing. Now I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of 1488, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. It's it's fucked up to be this intimately acquainted with Nazi culture. <laughs> yeah, for all he says about how Democrats are obsessed with race, I mean, it seems like that's all he ever thinks about. Um, yeah, there's just, like, he's really uh, spinning his wheels here, keeps defending, like... Uh, oh, 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 this is interesting, actually. Uh, ironically... Speaking of irony, ironically, the excellent professional stenographers of the House printed my statement in the congressional record with exactly the same punctuation error as the New York Times. One would think that would have made my case. How? <laughs> like, Doesn't it just say you were properly quoted the first time? Right. Two different... You just going to say... exactly the same? <laughs> yeah. Uh, two different people recorded what i said political the same lynch way. mobs again there yeah yeah it's even worse actually he says i would not be cut down from the hanging tree that's even more explicit uh, yeah. yeah the virtue signalers would leave me to dangle from the bow <laughs> why yeah he's not at all careful you know <laughs> If you're trying to, if this is like a long defense of how you are not connected to white supremacy in any way, you would think you would try to avoid references to lynching, frequent references to lynching. Agreed. The next page, he goes back to this idea in his head that he says, the New York Times happily reported my fate. It's like they're just doing it for shits and giggles and they're just like, oh, this is so fun. We're just really like ruining this man. But it's like they're responding to what he is doing. <laughs> they're doing yeah. their job. It's it's kind of news what's happening, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh he's so a lot of Republicans uh the they bailed on him, threw him under the bus, but not everyone. He did receive uh like supportive statements from people such as um Kimberly Fletcher, author and founder of Moms for America. And I forgot to pull this up. I was going to bring it up. Uh, Moms for America is like some Mormon thing. It seems to be like homeschool related. But if you go to store-mfa.com, you'll see some some pretty cool stuff for sale. They paid me for that ad. Or I pulled it up on my phone. All right, so there, there's stuff like a, a book called Pro-Life Kids. Uh, a t-shirt that says... <laughs> 
Dads for Moms for America. Oh, shit. They got the Mama Bear shirts. They got the Mama Bear shirts. Yeah. I'm zooming in on that. Don't worry. It is probably connected to the Mama Bears that we know here in Iowa, right? Surely. I believe believe Kimberly Fletcher is in... uh, Yeah, I believe this is based in Nebraska. Kimberly Fletcher. But listeners, before you get excited, uh, that is out of stock. A shirt. <laughs> okay, what about the Patriot Pack, though? Yeah, it's like a bundle. That. Yeah, you can still get that. It's a bundle for children. I'm a patriotic kid. Oh, so sick. A really wow. shitty bag. <laughs> like a drawstring bag. That you get for free, usually. <laughs> uh, a box of... This is, this is funny. A box of four crayons a four pack it's literally all free (laughs) stuff it's like a free and it's like one of those flags that costs two pennies Mm -hmm. yeah it's great you can get it they ripped off from village inn or something (laughs) yep you can get it for the low low price of 24.99 but anyway these are the kinds of people who were sending steve supportive messages in his time of uh strife uh, and he says that the LexisNexis search, which took a long time, uh, <laughs> confirmed his point that uh, he had been quoted in print using the term Western civilization 276 times in his political career, but uh, had not been quoted saying white nationalism, white nationalist, white supremacist, or white supremacy even once before January 2019. I don't and, know uh, how that helps. Yeah. Why would you be saying that? (laughs) And and then this, he calls it a, uh, members of my legal team summarize the finding of the LexisNexis audit. (laughs) So plugging in a search term into a search engine is doing an audit, I guess. Yeah. And this idea that he only said it because he was asked the question. It's like, maybe you should focus on why you were asked the question in the first place instead of why you uh, happen to parrot that word back. Yeah. Well, he's got a, he's got a theory, theory for that as well. Uh, Here's a quote uh, sort of laying that theory out over the previous 20 years, white nationalist or white nationalism was virtually unused. So this is talking about like media in general hadn't used these terms really at all uh 100 to 200 times a year in all of print media then abruptly after trump's election and a soros democrat meeting in washington the phrase was used 10,000 times in two months and 30,000 times total in 2017 soros democrat meeting this doesn't yeah, require I, any I, sort I of... I wonder if that's a reference to anything. <laughs> There's no... It, he doesn't say what he's talking about. There's no evidence of this meeting presented here in this book. The reader is just to accept it as fact. <laughs> <laughs> it, he's very selective in his use of uh, like the, the end notes. <laughs> yeah, the there's... Back of the book. Like, there's sometimes where it'd be like, Two paragraphs later, and he'll have a thing that you can't tell if it's connected to a quote he's used or not. And sometimes he just quotes things without, often quotes things without any sort of giving you any sort of idea of where he's getting it from, if anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But the media is only talking about white nationalism because of the uh, Soros connection, obviously. Yeah. Which is not a dog whistle at all <laughs> for juice. No, no, no. 
Uh, yeah, here, that's where that quote is from the Trip Gabriel article. Or, right? Yeah, I think this is someone uh, else quoting the Times article, <laughs> which Steve then quotes. This is a double quote. So th- this was included in the New York Times article. Elected to Congress in 2002, Mr. King attracted the attention of hate watch groups like the Anti-Defamation League as he spoke increasingly about preserving Western culture or Western civilization. The groups consider those buzzwords that signal support to white nationalists, along with an obsession with birth rates and abortion rates among different ethnic groups. I'm shocked that he even put this in the book because it lays out the connection yeah, would, <laughs> between the terms. I would like yes. to apologize to Congressman, former Congressman King because I earlier in this episode said that he did not do that. So <laughs> I'm very sorry. Yeah. He thinks that this he is like, come on here. This should help him out, but it's the opposite. <laughs> right. It's explaining why it isn't just about the term white nationalist, because he's very obsessed with the idea that there is nothing wrong with him talking about, quote, Western civilization, but mm-hmm. then provides the explanation for why that is still a problem. Yeah. And he has no rebuttal. I want to ask you guys about this. Um, you know, he, he uses this as a way to uh, take another shot at Earl Butts, mm-hmm. the... Uh, who was that? A Democratic politician. I think he was a Republican, actually. Was overheard. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. He was a Republican because Robert Byrd was a Democrat who got away with being in the Klan. Yeah, but that was the comparison. Earl yeah. Butts said something <laughs> racist on a plane once and uh, that dogged him forever. But then uh, Steve King imagines his own uh, obituary published in the paper. Steve King, Iowa congressman who championed white supremacy, dies at 100. You think he'll make it that long? Definitely not. Actually, what did I write? Earl there? Butts only made it to ninety-eight, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I I, uh, I, I guessed he would die in his eighties. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the next paragraph. History buff that I am, I found oh my myself God. reflecting on the Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like peak conservative dad. We're kind of hitting two two like super like middle-aged white conservative things here. The the idea that you're only racist if you say a word from this certain list of words and also claiming to be a history buff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um you know World War stuff. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um unlike me the American army faced real bullets and real bombshells and the blitzkrieg came from the Nazis, not the media. It's easy to confuse the two. I know. German tanks were rolling, American lines were sagging, and the German high command offered Brigadier General Anthony McAuliffe a way to save his own skin. Surrender. McAuliffe had his response typed up and sent it to the Germans. It consisted of one word, nuts. If the Germans didn't quite get it, McAuliffe troops did, and they rallied behind them. I will not resign. They will have to shoot me down in the middle of Main Street at high noon with everybody watching. Incredible. Oh, and that... <laughs> Did you guys look that up? I said repeatedly to the press, and then that last thing that you read, Natalie. Um, yeah, that I will not I, resign. Yeah, I didn't find any examples of <laughs> that ever being quoted. Well, that's... So, here I he is. I feel like they definitely would have. Like, if I got that quote as a journalist, I would print it. Really yeah. Well, yeah, sure. especially the, they have to shoot me down in the middle of Main Street at high noon. I mean, and for someone who's being so pedantic and very specific about how many times he was quoted saying specific words or how his quotes are taken out of context. <laughs> then he just says something that's just like, 
unless I'm missing something flatly untrue, I said repeatedly <laughs> to the press. Yeah. And he's just making up a quote. Well, that's just how unfair the media has been to him, is that he gave them this excellent quote, which would have reflected well upon him, and they refused to print it. <laughs> he starts off in every interview by saying that, and they're just like, yeah, 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 let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> they're hunting for something to kill him with, and that wouldn't have done it. Oh, before we move on, I do have a clip of him saying this. Steve King, Iowa congressman who championed white supremacy, dies at 100. That's a fun clip that I may use that again later. I don't know. Just it's just fun. Steve King, <laughs> Iowa congressman who championed white supremacy, dies at 100. <laughs> I bet I can get some use out of that. I hope they do exactly that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am really glad he decided to read this whole thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's great to get all of this in his words, especially something that happens in the next chapter. Uh, <laughs> so he's talking about how he's ne he's never going to betray his uh, his voters, even if uh, the the Republican establishment is abandoning him. And I just wanted to point out that you know his refusal to betray his voters, uh, his voters returned the favor by not voting for him at their first opportunity <laughs> following this. <laughs> And then he gives us another uh, photo here of him posing with his enemies. Let me just show that to you. I mean, I know you guys have the PDF open, but just for our our audience here, there he is with his buddies, uh, Joni Ernst and Terry Branstad. The four of us, this is his caption, the four of us stood together many times serving the people of Iowa. That would change immediately after the 2018 election. I don't even know why he included that here. <laughs> I don't know. He's got Reynolds in there, too. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, she's off to the side. Yeah. No, that's Joni Ernst, and Reynolds is closer. Yeah, well, Reynolds is next to Branstead. There I go, showing my cards again. Can't tell the difference between two women. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> they, they, they both have the... Um, Republican middle-aged mom haircut and jeans. It's yeah. they're indistinguishable. I just yes. happen to be like a connoisseur of the middle-aged Republican woman haircut and jeans, and so I can tell the difference. But it's okay if you can. They're easier to tell apart now because Joan yeah. Aaron screw her hair out. So. Yeah. I wonder if they had any like conversations about that, how they had the same haircut and people were confusing them. <laughs> yeah, and I mean they have the same highlight situation too. So it's it's like identical. I get it. Um, Joni Arndt's new hair looks better. I like it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Making good choices, I think. Well, on to chapter five then. Uh, it's called Manning Up. And we're in for a little change of pace here because unless I miss something, Trip Gabriel is not mentioned once in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Rudyard Kipling is uh, quoted right at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so some things do not change uh, this this chapter is mostly about uh, anti-semitic terrorism and how it's not steve's fault <laughs> oh this is where he gets real into the definitions yeah before that i got a question for you too that first paragraph House Resolution 41, rejecting white nationalism and white supremacy, might better have been called House Resolution 41, chastising conservatives who challenged progressive thought control, especially Steve King. 
which do you think is the better uh, title? Oh, definitely the progressive thought control. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think I could come up with a better one, like uh, House Resolution 41 uh, covering our ass in regards to Steve King. (laughs) 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 House Resolution 41, this motherfucker again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so the definitions of uh, white supremacy... You know, it's very explicit. White supremacists believe that the white race is superior to all other races and was created to rule them. Steve says, you have to ask yourself, how many Americans actually believe this? I've never met one. He's never been in white nationalist circles. Never been in white nationalist circles. That's why he knows about 14 words. (laughs) Well, again, I mean, I was connecting the dots there, but I do think he knows what 14 words means. (laughs) And then uh, he's, this is great. White nationalist is trickier, meaning it's harder to define, but I love the playfulness there. It's tricky. Yeah. So to be a white nationalist, this is the, the FBI's definition. To be a white nationalist is to be pro-white. The domestic white nationalist movement seeks to promote, honor, and defend the white race. If at this point we substituted the word black for white, no one would bat an eye. Yes, if we said something different than this, then people would react differently. <laughs> I think a lot of people do have issues with uh, black nationalism as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly popular. In <laughs> yeah. Broadly in society. One, you know who this reminded me of when I was reading all this stuff about definitions? It's uh, Joel Curtinitis. Mm. Because he wrote a whole <laughs> column in the register when they were still publishing his bullshit about how he could not call Steve King a racist because only Steve King knows what's in his heart. Yes. (laughs) Racist is a a self-identification only. (laughs) Right. Oh, also, um, I mean, the the way that he he says, you know, what if we were talking about black people instead instead of white people? That's his sneaky way of saying, yeah, I am a white nationalist, actually. Well, and also, the, that's another thing that Joel Curtinitis put in, I think, that same column where he picked one definition from, like, Merriam-Webster and said, this definition of racism clearly does not apply to this situation. <laughs> but it's obviously broader than just that. You know, it's, there's context, subtext, there's your actions, your words, there's... It's not just cherry-picking one thing that, on a, in a shallow kind of, like, debate high school debate kind of way or something like gets you out of it yeah but hey high school debate that's what they all want all interaction to be yeah. uh, a, couple of, a couple of examples so he's saying you know uh if people were saying you know black nationalism is about being pro-black no no one has a problem with that uh two examples he gives muhammad ali was a black nationalist so was malcolm x i think history shows uh, those two men no one had any problem with them, any of the stuff they did. <laughs> they were not targeted in any way. Um, Malcolm X still alive. Yeah, he's doing fine. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the other thing is, like, if you substitute a different word, it's different. Like, it's like Malcolm X was a black nationalist because of, like, the level of 
evil and discrimination that he saw and like the context in which he grew up like you live in a white supremacist society so like it's it's different to be a white nationalist than a black nationalist yeah yeah like if you if you substitute it for something else it's different like yeah yeah this has kind of the depth of reason as uh as much as uh conservatives who say that nazis were far left because they have socialist in their name Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the same kind of idea it's like yeah if you substitute black for white it's fucking different because we live in a white supremacist society so like black nationalism is understandable and has like a history of accomplishing good things and like white nationalism is not understandable because we live in a society like just like if you change what the uh, it's fucked up yeah 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 that i mean that context like destroys their entire foundation so they can't really get into that too much <laughs> uh to, to get beyond the the you know black and white so to speak the house resolution that he hated so much also said that white white nationalism uh also has connections to anti-semitism of course there's uh jewish interests that dominate the government referred to as the zionist occupied government And he says, this definition is almost crazily specific. I'm sure someone believes this stuff. I just don't know who these people are. You've never heard of fucking anti-Semitic Nazi people? Like, (laughs) Steve King doth protest too much. This is where he goes on to mention that thing I said earlier about the white nationalists see race mixing as akin to genocide is another quote from that resolution. Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem rejecting any of this. And then he says, I've long been a champion of Israel, which is something that came up earlier, too. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, you can't be anti-Semitic because you're a champion of Israel. Like, the whole whole reason that you're into Israel is to bring the rapture against Jewish people. (laughs) Well, and even more specific. I have argued long, relentlessly, and publicly in favor of assimilation and intermarriage. (laughs) Right, right, which we know his motivation there. But even, I mean, bringing up Israel, the sentence after he's talking about race mixing like how is your support of israel proof that you are okay with race mixing israel's an ethno state it's an apartheid (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) this is where he talked about uh trying to set up his son with a a black woman yes that was a fun quote let's hear it again and then um when one of my sons was single and uncommitted i tried unsuccessfully to play cupid between him and a very cute and bubbly young black lady I'm just imagining him as a little Cupid. I had to play it again. Sorry. <laughs> the rest of that paragraph, he, too, is... It's great. And, the, like, it's him, again, reporting exactly what the issue is with his beliefs about interracial marriage. Um, it said, The same son later pointed out to me the press declared me a racist precisely for advocating for interracial marriage. How? The press imputed me an alleged belief that interracial marriage would eventually absorb blacks into the white populations. Um, My genetics course taught me enough to call that theory bogus. My theory is that interracial marriage erases racial friction a generation at a time. That's the same fucking thing. Like you, that is what you're like. You're laying out exactly what the problem is with your um, beliefs about assimilation and then acting like that absolves you. Yeah. Yeah, your thought pattern here is pretty clear. and yeah. yeah, yeah. It's concerning that you have a theory on this subject at all. Yes. 
I do not contemplate this at all. I <laughs> literally never think about the purity of the races and like how they're mixing. Like this does not cross my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It only crosses my mind because I've written so much about Steve King. So <laughs> <laughs> it's poisoned your thoughts a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll never be the same. I'll make my, my definitive statement on race mixing right now. I think that people who like each other should uh, should hang out together, and if they want to get married, they should do that. Uh, and it it doesn't matter like what what kind of child they would have, color wise, you know. <laughs> it's all good. Everybody, That's so brave. everybody, do what you want. <laughs> That's so brave, Justin. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm promoting interracial marriage just. For its own sake, not necessarily because of uh, how it will affect future generations of each race yeah. and their <laughs> percentages like really and things like up that. To think about. <laughs> I've never contemplated that in my life. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna say, coming up here is where he really gets uh, incoherent in his uh, discussion of—I mean, more incoherent, or maybe <laughs> just as—but white nationalism yeah. and anti-Semitism. Yeah, this is this is tough. Um, <laughs> So he's he claims that the the media is too focused on like white supremacist terrorists and they they turn a blind eye to uh anti-semitism coming from black people. So this is my note on this paragraph. I am not racist. Opens briefcase full of printed out articles labeled black on Jew crimes. <laughs> 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 so he brings up a couple examples of uh, domestic terrorism against Jewish people that were perpetrated by uh, black people. And then uh, right Including at the end... Including the... I didn't say one was the Jersey City mass shooting, but... Right, right. And then there's a, a brief little um, aside here. Worldwide, of course, Jews suffer most from attacks by Islamic terrorists of all races. But that fact is inevitably downplayed as well. At this point, you, you have to wonder what his motivation might be to bring up these uh, other anti-Semitic attacks. Well, up next, he talks about Robert Bowers, who did the uh, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting. So it's to, you know, balance the scales a bit. I wonder if he's including when he talks about, like, um, anti-Semitic terrorism by Islamic terrorists. I assume mm -hmm. he's also just talking about like Palestinians defending themselves. Like, I guarantee yeah. that if he's like looking up statistics, he's like every yeah. I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah, because as he's reminded us many times, champion of Israel. This this is disgusting. Um, <laughs> so I, I basically he's saying like. Yeah, white people do domestic terrorism against Jewish people in America, but the media only wants to talk about the white examples. When really, and this is a quote, it is the left's own allies who are terrorizing Jews here and abroad. So th these are the allies of the left he's referring to. Uh, the Nation of Islam and ISIS, I guess? Allies of the left? <laughs> ISIS, yeah. Famous ally of Democratic Party. ISIS, known communists. <laughs> I was just looking over the Robert Bowers paragraph here again mm -hmm. on the next page. 
So, yeah, yeah. So, to prime us for actually talking about Robert Bowers, he had to talk about all these other examples of non-white people attacking Jews. But he says here, Bowers fit the definition of a white nationalist. Wasn't he just complaining about how hard it is to define white nationalism? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, makes it a point to say that, that Bowers was not a fan of Donald Trump. Uh, and there's a quote here. Anyone want to read that? Or should I play uh, the audiobook here? Nope. <laughs> I'm not reading <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so, so Robert Bowers uh, was not a fan of Donald Trump. And he, he said this. There is no MAGA as long as well, there is a trigger warning for anti-Semitic language. <laughs> I may have to edit that. <laughs> Sorry, I talked over it. Well, that's maybe for the best. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a Jewish slur there that that uh, Steve has no trouble reading. Yeah, I wonder if he included that on purpose as an excuse to, to do that. Knowing he would have to read the audiobook later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the next line. In the darker corners of the white nationalist <laughs> movement, Bauer's take on Trump was commonplace. First of all, I think all the corners of the white nationalist movement are pretty light. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I just love the idea that there are better, there are darker corners of the white nationalists, and then there are the the good corners of the white nationalist movement. <laughs> Some of those guys aren't so bad. <laughs> In the darker corners. Yeah, yeah. But he's making an effort to distance Donald Trump from from guys like Robert Bowers. How would you summarize his argument here? I'm struggling to even fully understand what he's going for with this. Yeah, what is the argument, I guess? Is that Robert Bowers uh, is... He's not connected to the Republican Party and Steve King's wing of the party itself. Here, isn't he conflating white nationalism and anti-Semitism? Because he's saying he fit the definition of a white nationalist, but the, like he's saying the media, I guess, is using him to try to turn Trump into an anti-Semite. But mm-hmm. earlier he was trying to make a point of saying how they were different. Mm-hmm. I guess when maybe it's more of a racial thing earlier, but it's just very confusing what he's yeah. trying to get at, I think. Well, I mean, Bowers' argument is that Trump is not far right enough. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just an odd way to defend yourself to say, like, no, 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 no. Like, they they think that he's not extreme enough, but he is extreme. It's just not far enough. It just, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's really bizarre. Well, in that quote I played, he said, this is something that Robert Bowers posted, there is no MAGA as long as there is Jewish people. Uh, that implies that he is pro MAGA. Yes, right. <laughs> like he has to. Yes, uh, under, absolutely. He has, he has to do this terrorist attack and kill some Jewish people in order to fulfill the policy goals of Donald Trump, like in the long term, right? Right. He's saying I am the purer version of MAGA, like. So I'm not sure how that really helps with your defense that you're not like your ideology and what you're putting into the bloodstream of the like zeitgeist is not contributing to this. It doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. There's clearly a connection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
We haven't said yet, though, the spiciest part of this, which is I have to wonder whether Bowers timed his attack to damage Trump and congressional Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. That's kind of like the pipe bomb that was conveniently placed in Soros's mailbox from the earlier chapter. Yeah, yeah. It's all a big conspiracy. Really, I mean, the grossest thing you can take away from that statement is like, in a way, I was a victim of the Tree of Life shooting. If you think about <laughs> it. <laughs> he was actually targeting me. Yeah. That's basically where he's going next, because this is where he talks about that uh, pre-election uh, forum that was at the Greater uh, uh, Des Moines Partnership, mm-hmm. uh, part of their candidate series. The one that I snuck my way into, or talked my way into. Um, yeah. So I saw this happen. This was the when a, a smug young man asked me during a Q&A, <laughs> the terrorists who committed this crime, he was quoted as saying, they bring invaders and kill our people. I can't sit back and watch our people get slaughtered. You, Steve King, has been, have been quoted as saying, we can't restore our civilization with other people's babies. You and the shooter both share an ideology that is fundamentally anti-immigration. Mm-hmm. And you have a clip of part of that, don't you? I, yeah, I do, if we want to watch that. So Steve talks about how he shut down the smug young man. Uh, and I feel like the way he wrote about it is very idealized. Like, you know, Steve King expertly shuts down Heckler, basically. But uh, there is video <laughs> evidence of what really happened. So let's see how Steve King actually responded to being asked these questions by a smug young man. What was this guy's name again, Gavin? Caleb Von. Uh, Van Fossen. Yeah. Caleb Van Fossen. The aforementioned smug young man. Here he is. As uh, I'm sure all of us have already heard, this Saturday there was a shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh that tragically left 11 people dead. And the uh, terrorist who did, committed this uh, crime, he was quoted as saying, they bring invaders in that kill our people. I can't sit back and watch our people get slaughtered. You, Steve King, have been quoted as saying, we can't restore our civilization with other people's babies. You and the shooter both share an ideology that is... No, don't you do that. Do not associate me with that shooter. I knew you were an ambusher when you walked in the room, but there's no basis for that, and you get no question, and you get no answer. No, you're done. We don't play these games here in Iowa. No, you're done. You crossed the line. It's not tolerable to accuse me to be associated with a guy that shot 11 people in Pittsburgh. I am a person who has stood with Israel from the beginning. That The length of that nation is the length of my life. And I've been with them all along, and I will not answer your question, and I'll not listen to another word from you. And this is over if you keep talking. This is over if you don't stop talking. I'm leaving. I think he's given his answer. I think that, that his answer is... His answer, yes, please. Sir, stop it. Sir, that's it. You're done. I would ask whoever is guarding this door to leave this man out of the room. I live and work in the 4th District. My wife lives and work in the 4th District. My kids live and attend school. Let's wait till he gets out, and then I'll take your question, sir. Sorry, you couldn't answer Stop it. Nobody's going to listen to you. You're gone. We don't behave like that in this country. Go out and stand out front with a sign. Oh, oh. Thank you, KCCI. Uh, so, I love when his I think voice I might have been in the back of that video. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah. <laughs> so you were there? 
Yeah, I was there in the back corner. I think I'm. I couldn't tell. I had to pause it and see if that was me. But I was, yeah, <laughs> leaning against the wall in the corner. I think. His description of that is not the way that the video went. He was having yeah, a little meltdown. Know. It's yeah. It's much flatter. Yeah, his voice cracks. That's great. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him an ambusher there. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna point out, or in the book, he says that man was clearly a plant. A plant, yeah. Which I thought was uh, funny. By whom? <laughs> ICCI, George Soros? I guess. Yeah, probably George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I did, yeah, I did pull out a couple things he said there when he was yelling and pointing his finger. Uh, he said something like, We don't play games like that here in Iowa. It seems like he's suggesting that uh, Caleb is from, he's been shipped in from somewhere else, but that he's he lives here, right? Uh, he did at the time. I can't remember where he lives now. He might have moved, but yeah, I mean, he was. But he, he at the time, yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. And then, like right, yeah. at, right at the end, he he says, "Uh, we don't behave like this or something in this country." So he zooms out even further, like Caleb was parachuted in from Switzerland or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wanted to say something about this here because you just heard that or you know we just watched the video of steve king's reaction mm-hmm. and then i should have had this up but at the end of the event this is the same event that i mentioned in the previous episode where he was defending the austrian freedom yeah. party against uh, its nazi roots mm-hmm. their criticisms of its nazi roots at length but then at the end so that was after i think that was after this little blow up and it was just deeply weird listening to steve king talk about nazis at <laughs> length and have that happen also. And then at the end of the event, the guy who emceed this event or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm looking for his name in here, but he was a local lawyer and he went up to the, went up to the podium or whatever afterwards. And he shook Steve hands, Steve King's hand and thanked him for his civility, which is just <laughs> really a great example of how these organizations operate in a nutshell. You know, it's, you can get away with shit but I mean, it's not even. He wasn't even being civil. He was. He was the no, one who no. was blown up on this guy. Yeah, <laughs> he threatened to leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was Caleb who was not being civil because he disrupted an otherwise orderly meeting where they asked stupid questions about you know taxes and other right. bullshit <laughs> that the Des Moines business community cares about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that Caleb asked the question was like completely. Like, he did not raise his voice in any way. <laughs> he was so calm. Yeah. It was yeah. really good. Uh, he makes reference to that, uh, the gay and Jewish joke that he enjoyed at dinner with the uh, Austrian fascists. <laughs> Just to remind us, there's no way these guys were white supremacists. A couple of them were gay. Like, come on. <laughs> and just really quick, that attorney's name, because I think it is worth mentioning. Yeah. Because I think that's real shitty thing he did. It was uh, Tim Coonan, attorney mm-hmm. at the Davis-Brown Law Firm. Remember that name, folks. Uh, and right at the end of, of Chapter 5 here, he's talking about those resolutions again and how uh, they, the, they mentioned him by name. Uh, and reiterates, uh, my colleague Tlaib, so Rashida Tlaib, uh, never had her name mentioned in the resolutions her anti-Semitic comments inspired. Now, I scrolled back. 
He never mentioned any anti-Semitic comments from Rashida Tlaib in the text of this book. So, <laughs> what's well, he, he referring to? From, yeah, he he referred to Ilhan Omar's thing. So I guess they're much like how you can't tell Joni Ernst and Kim Reynolds apart. He can't <laughs> tell the difference between those two. Yeah, there's there's just something about Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib that Steve King has trouble uh, differentiating between them. I wonder what could <laughs> <Yeah>. it be. <laughs> All right, and then the, the last chapter of today's reading, chapter six. This is called Finding My Voice. It's actually a nice change of pace. There's no Rudyard Kipling quote at it's the beginning. It's a big lurch. Is <laughs> it another zero Trip Gabriel mentioned chapter as well? It's like a it's, whole new book is starting. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's about his childhood. Mm-hmm. And this, I want to say quickly, um, when I wrote the book review for uh, Men Yell at Me, Liz Lenz's Substack, Mm-hmm. page which is great check it out um she called it a memoir mm-hmm. i think in the in the title or in the subhead and i had referred to it as an autobiography but she is more correct because the memoir is about like a specific period of someone's life and an autobiography sure. is more of a full history and i mentioned that because this chapter is one of the only times that it approaches that kind of autobiography mode mm-hmm. And I would have liked to have seen more of this in the book because he's just bitching most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you guys sense of like his upbringing, who he was, it'd be a lot more revealing of his character because he's basically just giving endless examples of you know the other thing. <laughs> All right. How he operates and views the world. Yeah. This is just a glimpse of uh, his upbringing, and really the only reason he even writes it is because he wants to provide some context for why he's such a firebrand, a renegade in politics. Uh, He credits his dad with a lot of that. He says that his father was the best critical thinker that he has ever met. I bet he was just the worst person ever. (laughs) His example uh, is, uh, Dad and I argued for three days about whether you could convert watts to horsepower. This story is so long. (laughs) The best critical thinker I've ever met. We argued for three days about this. (laughs) I don't really have a leg to stand on here, but uh, Steve King, as a child, pulls out this equation, which is 745 watts equals one horsepower, which to me should settle the argument, right? There's a numerical conversion between the two, so why argue for three days about it? Yeah, and... Well, you want to tell the rest of the story? I have a thought about... Sure. Well, it's it's very short. It ends... Like, his dad insists, like, he, Steve is still wrong, even though mathematically you can convert one to the other. Horsepower is a measurement of mechanical power. Watts are a measure of electrical power. So it would be foolish to, you know, flip between the two or whatever. I was going to say he almost shows more nuance in this <laughs> argument in how... <laughs> They kind of saw eye to eye, and they're kind of both right. Then he does with anything when he talks about race. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. You have to wonder if his father was, like, in receiving uh, any sort of money from George Soros in this, like, trying to sink his son's, like, (laughs) (laughs) self-esteem. What was his motivation there? (laughs) 
want to find out more about his dad because he was briefly mayor of somewhere. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. If I remember He tells correctly. a really weird story about how he becomes mayor. Um, Spe- speaking of conspiracy theories about it. his yeah. dad, I have oh, yeah. one here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one day, dad was speaking with the mayor in front of the town hardware store when an elderly woman confusing forward and reverse on her car drove the mayor into the plate glass window of the store. He survived, but was banged up enough to step down from his lofty position as town mayor. Feeling the need to do his part and resolve to be nowhere near this lady when she was parking her car, dad took over the job. So some old lady drives the mayor through a plain glass window. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely hired by Steve King's dad. (laughs) Right, yeah. This is in the town of... While he happens to be standing there, and then he's like 231 people. Yeah, the town of Goodell. Um, and but yeah, the, co- yes. the coincidences here. And like, he just happens to be there. Yeah, the the mayor is attacked by an old woman's car while you are standing next to him, <laughs> holding a conversation with and him in like, front oh, of this I'll big window, and then you take his place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are we really to like to just stop thinking about it at that point? You just happen to be I there. I love it. <laughs> Keeping it's him in that position? <laughs> in front of the window. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful word portrait. Like, just, I can just imagine the old lady in the window and driving someone through the plain glass and he's standing to it. It's just like, it's beautiful. Yeah. And this was in the 100%, 60s. And- he hired an old lady to kill the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> this was in the 60s and it's an old lady. So it has to be a pretty big car, right? But Steve King's dad is not at all injured in this incident she hit the guy standing next to him but not him (laughs) having a conversation close enough to have a conversation and she's like aimed and fast enough in a big enough car to drive him through a plain glass window but he gets out of the way no it was on purpose and he doesn't help the mayor get out of the way or anything yeah I had written something about this uh, for the one of the articles I wrote for the Informer, but and I found a very abbreviated version of this story about how the other guy mm. was, you know, he he couldn't serve anymore, and Steve King's dad took over. But <clears throat> I'd never heard the story in, in <laughs> the specific details before, so I did appreciate that. Yeah, being in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if there are any old news clippings or anything about his dad's time as mayor that would be revealing. I've tried looking before and couldn't find any, but you can only imagine how his dad must have viewed <laughs> yeah. things like race and gender politics. Yeah, in such a small town just up there in the middle of nowhere. We did skip yeah. over a little bit about his mom, and I did want to highlight two things here. Uh, she preferred the King James version of the Apostle Paul's famed letter to the Corinthians, which used the word charity where some modern versions use love. Love has a connotation of reciprocating agreement, which is why so many people have this passage recited at their wedding. I just, I just want to say, like, uh, my mother preferred charity to love. That's, there's a profound sadness to that. <laughs> yes. And then one more thing about her. Uh, she gave with no expectation of receiving, and in doing so, she taught me to live a life of service, to give of myself without expectation of reward in this life. 
dot dot you dot. You were a so, congressman. So I became a business owner and politician. <laughs> <laughs> he also mentions in here before that, and I think this is interesting, even though I know this is often used by the people to punch down on people, but he says, my father did not graduate from college, neither mm-hmm. did I for that matter, but I would put my dinner table, did you read that already? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> my, okay, my, I, I gotta check myself here. <laughs> I would put up my dinner table education against anyone's college degree. He and mom are both skilled in any number of practical arts and wise in the ways of the world. Yeah, I, I you know, but, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with not graduating college, but I, I do think there may be a little bit something wrong with thinking that you've learned all you need to learn just talking to your parents over dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the, yeah. uh, my parents created the family life right out of the Dick and Jane primers of my childhood. And if you look up those books, um, they were, <laughs> uh, criticized for their, uh, traditional patriarchal view of the you know, American family unit. And they didn't have any, uh, people of color until after the Civil Rights Act passed, mm. then they had a second family introduce that was black to try to do something there. But hmm. I just think it's relevant considering who's saying that. Yeah. Well, we know which which period of those books he's talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> um, he says that they moved to, uh, or his dad worked in uh, Denison, a bustling meatpacking plant town. Uh, 5,000 good souls live there. So, quick questions for Steve. Hey, who who was working at those plants? Where did they come from? How did they get there? <laughs> that actually is something he has talked about. I'm not sure if it's in this oh, really? book or not, but I, I've written about... Or I can't remember. Yeah, he did a little bit because he... Um, there was like a wave of immigration into that part of Iowa at mm-hmm. a certain point, and the demographics of it changed. So I don't know if that was, I can't remember when that was or how that would impact who's working at a, a, a plant, but he, sure, yeah, yeah, I think he has argued in favor of that before because he likes Mexican food or something. So he, he appreciates them assimilating so he can eat that food. Although he tweeted something <laughs> recently that would suggest otherwise because he was yeah. <laughs> unfavorably comparing a burrito to a steak dinner or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another one of his very odd tweets. Yeah. What a freak. <laughs> uh his dad always went to work even if he was sick which is just good old-fashioned american protestant work ethic <laughs> both of those things remind me of covid too because you know it's like people were plants. forced yeah. to keep working at meat packing plants when they were sick mm-hmm. so it's kind of a bad timing for uh, yeah. writing that and this book just came out a couple months ago so <laughs> yeah. he knew the context he was writing that in uh, then his dad bought them. Uh, his dad bought them uh, a home and some land in the uh, unfortunately named Coon Grove. And uh, I have a, a quote about living in that area here. Really, just I, just focus on two words that he's saying here. I could roam on my own all the way up and down the full stretch of Coon Creek for miles in either direction. That's Coon Creek. He says Creek. I mean, we all know there's some uh, connotations to the word coon, which are not great, but, you know, he didn't name the town, so that's not really his fault. Maybe they, uh, his dad chose that area because of the name, though. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, who knows? Yeah. And I just have one last little story from his childhood that I want to make sure we talk about. 
as he was roaming this, as he called it, crick as a child. Before I was old enough to carry a twenty-two rifle, I proudly brought home two squirrels taken with only a pocket knife. How the, how do you do that? I'm, how the fuck do you murder a squirrel with a pocket knife? How do you catch it? Is he throwing it? <laughs> how? I didn't even think about that. Is he like hurling, hurling it? <laughs> well, He's just running around, just tossing knives at squirrels. <laughs> but really, how else are you killing it with a pocket knife? Yeah. How I, are you catching it? I envisioned it as, yeah. In order to kill it with the pocket knife. Child Steve stabbing two squirrels to death. Which is not quite the cute story <laughs> he's making it out to be. <laughs> I'm gonna email him and ask. I'm not kidding. He you should use his Gmail address somewhere. that's associated with that uh, PayPal account I bought his book from. Yeah, yeah. It's a personal address. <laughs> or he still will checks you send that. it to me? Oh my god, Gavin, yeah, will you send it. it to me? Okay, I'm gonna email yeah, him and ask how he killed the squirrel. He would love to elaborate. <laughs> I guarantee it. It's going to be so funny. This is great. That'd be great if you replied. Yeah. All right, I'll yeah. find it. Okay. <laughs> well, is there anything else you want to talk about with this chapter? If not, we can close things out. I don't think you can top killing a squirrel with a pocket knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else. Yeah. Hopefully we get an answer to that, that question. Uh, yeah, I will email today. <laughs> yeah. Natalie's going to do some journalism on that one. I guarantee he'll answer. Yeah, I'm going to find out. (laughs) All right, well, uh, next time we're going to read through chapter nine. So that will be chapters seven, eight, and nine. A little glimpse of the future. Chapter seven is called Understanding Trump. So unfortunately, probably not much more stories of murdering squirrels as a child. (laughs) (laughs) going back into 21st century politics unfortunately <laughs> well thanks he does Gavin. revisit the past at least once oh good so, yeah, i can't wait so. i can't wait <laughs> yeah it's good stuff yeah thank you gavin thank you natalie this was fun yeah for sure this speech is my recital i think it's very vital to rock around that's right on top it's tricky it's so tight. here we go it's tricky to rock around to rock around that's right on time it's tricky Rock a rhyme, I said it's not that easy. It's tricky to rock 